All right, we're back, guys. Uh, welcome back to Celluloid Jelly, a podcast featuring a couple of ex-video store guys who just love talking about movies. I am CJ Talbot, and with me, as always, is my co-host, Cesar Alejandro. Hey, Cesar. Hey, CJ. How are things going? Uh, things are going well. Uh, we're also, there's someone sitting next to you today. We're also joined by a, a special guest here. Uh, you want to introduce yourself? Yeah, my name's Nick, Nick Palutra. Was going to uh, Suncoast for a long time, so that's how I know these guys. Yeah, uh, Nick knows his movies. That's why we would have him on the show. So, uh, um, welcome, Nick. Hey, great to be here. It's debatable that I know my movies, but you know that's such a lie. <laughs> it's it's pretty debatable whether we know our movies. So that's you know. I've said to a lot of people that Nick probably has, in terms of movie taste, he's probably the closest to my own. I'd say. Of the people yeah. I know, I think you're absolutely right. <laughs> but it, Nick, uh, I mean, you've got a pretty deep well. Like, you love classic movies probably uh, about as much as anybody I know. You know, like uh, westerns and film noir and foreign films and, you know. Yeah. What, what is your taste? We were just talking about how you like Yakuza movies and samurai flicks. Yeah, a little, little bit of everything. As long as it's before, like, uh, <laughs> 1980, I'm usually... Well, maybe 1990. If it's before 1990, I'm usually pretty good with it. <laughs> cool. Uh, well, today we're going to be talking about The Naked Spur, uh, which was directed by one of your favorites, Anthony Mann. Uh, before we get to that, though, we usually uh, recommend a movie to our listeners that we've watched recently. Uh, so do you have anything in particular, Nick, that you would like to uh, offer? Um, it's been a pretty slow month for me, um, but I did actually watch a newer movie, which is rare for me, which I watched um, Hereditary. Mm. And, uh, I know you saw that too, CJ. I did. Cesar, did you see it? No. <laughs> we won't go into any spoilers, but um, Hereditary is definitely worth a watch, I think. Um, I, I thought it was uh, very, very well crafted, very well acted. Um, it's definitely, I think it's kind of an anti-horror movie. It kind of works as like a black comedy to me a little bit. But Absolutely. Yeah, you mentioned you mentioned it was funny on your like, on yeah. a short little letterbox review. Yeah, I, def- I definitely thought it was uh, a, a good black comedy, very tongue in cheek. Uh, ca- cabin in the Woods, but not as you know over the top as Cabin. Yeah, and and you're right. Tony Collette is pretty amazing in it. She's great. Yeah, and I actually really liked. Um, I'm blanking on his name right now, but the kid's actually really good in it. Um, he's got a lot of range because you kind of hate that kid to begin with. You think he sucks as an actor, and then he really. He really gets you in by the end. Yeah, I can't remember his name either, but he's the one from the new Jumanji movie that is the um, the Rock plays his avatar in the movie. Yeah, so... That, so he's the main character of the film. Yeah, basically. Yeah, so I, I enjoyed that, which is rare for me. Yeah, me. I, I thought it was really good too, and, and uh, I, without spoiling anything, um, they, they really throw you for a left turn about 40 minutes into the movie. What about you, CJ? Um, God, you know, I, I like you, I, I have not seen that many movies over the past week, but I did watch Jurassic World. Did anybody see that? No. <laughs> or Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom, I should say. Yeah, I, I didn't mean for that giggle to get out there. <laughs> I said no. That's okay. You know, honestly, um, it's not horrible. It's not, uh, you know... It's about what I expected. So I mean, if, if you if you liked Jurassic World and you like uh, the character that Chris Pratt plays and Bryce Dallas Howard, 
you know, this, this continues on from that where they have to go back to the island. The original Jurassic Park island, Ilsa Nubar, is... Uh, the volcano has become active again, and it is destroying the island, so they try to save the dinosaurs. And uh, in the middle of that plot, they also sort of introduce, uh, you know, this character who nefariously wants to um, sell the dinosaurs off and develop new genetically enhanced dinosaurs for military purposes. Um, and so the Chris Pratt character and the Bryce Dallas Howard character have to, you know, put a stop to it. That's the basic okay. plot. So, it, it, to be why, honest... What do, do people think that, like, dinosaurs are the next step in military evolution? <laughs> because that's the only where you go in this franchise, which has been dead since after the first movie. There's nowhere to go with this series. It is, like, one of the worst franchises imaginable. The last movie, Jurassic World, was just a rehash of Jurassic Park. Like, there's nothing in this new movie until you get to, like, the last act when it starts to get, like... I won't call it bonkers, but when they start to get into like the, you know, the the buying and selling of dinosaurs on the black market and, and shit like that. Um, like, is it like the ending for Taken? <laughs> <laughs> Almost. Um, but like there's not a single thing in this movie that really introduces a new concept or really even like a good set piece, um, like action-wise. There is, however, one image, one moment that is brilliant that made some people in the audience tear up and or outright even cry. Um, the Brachiosaurus part, yeah. Um, which I, I think, uh, without spoiling the actual moment, I, I mentioned that in my letterbox thing. Um, and that, that one single image, that one single moment is really great. And the rest of the movie, eh, it's kind of lame. <laughs> do, we, do we get to see the Barbasol can? <laughs> no. <laughs> no, it hasn't appeared. No, uh, and Wayne Knight does not make an appearance. <laughs> so, how about you, Cesar? You got anything you want to recommend? Uh, well, on Sunday, um, I went to the Charles and I saw "Won't You Be My Neighbor," the new documentary about Fred Rogers. Yeah, I'm really excited to see that. Um, it was just a really, really lovely movie. Um, a lot of times, doc. Uh, documentary uh, biopics um, have a tendency to lionize the characters that they um, use as subject material. The This movie, I mean, if there anyone's going to be lionized, Fred Rogers, the, the guy that you're going to do it for, um, he's, a, he's a guy that, um, uh, the trailer kind of hints at it, but he embodies what people should, you know, aspire to be almost like, you know, a real life Superman. Right. Uh, so to speak. Um, and one of the things that really struck me as I was watching the film is that, you know, they kind of go through his career from, you know, from youth to, you know, towards the end of his life. Um, but like as a kid, I remember watching Mr. Rogers. But if you asked me six months ago to recall like an episode or something I remembered about Mr. Rogers, I'd have a hard time doing it. Um, during the course of this movie, they would show clips and um, little inserts and things about um, Mr. Rogers' career on the show and outside of it, and so many of those things I vividly recall. Like, I remembered it, and it was like, um, I was awash with, like, nostalgia seeing this, like, realized, um, or seeing this revisited on screen. Yeah. And it was amazing that, like, how, you know, how after, like, 30 years, I didn't really remember anything until um, 
until this movie and almost everything in that movie I remembered. So it's like Mr. Rogers was always beneath the surface, just in my, you know, the peripheries of my memory. Yeah. I, for me, when I, when I look back at my childhood and, and think of Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, um, it's more of a feeling than any specific, like, events on the show. Like, it just felt good to watch Mr. Rogers. Sure. Um, and I think, you know, in this day and age, you know, I, I think that movie's going to be, like, a sleeper hit of the summer. You know, it probably yeah, it is yeah, yeah. probably will make a, a, a pretty good amount of money, um, you know, because people are looking for a little of that right now, I think. So. Yeah, I'll take more of it, personally. Yeah. Cool. All right, good. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to that, definitely. And I know um, Chels really wants to see it, so... Is it, is it open anywhere near you guys yet? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's... It's, uh... I think it's nationwide now. It's in, like, two 2,000 theaters right now, I think. Okay, cool. So, um... Yeah, so, uh... Naked Spur. Uh, Nick, you, uh... You brought this movie to us, or suggested this movie, um... Uh, as, as one of a, a group of movies that you would like to do. Um, so, uh, why, why Naked Spur? What's Naked Spur about? Uh, Naked Spur is uh, one of Anthony Mann's uh, collaborations with Jimmy Stewart. They do eight. Um, they do five westerns. This is the third of their five. And I think this is probably their strongest. Um, I think it's probably one of the best psychological westerns, maybe ever. The plot is... Just very, very minimalistic. It's Jimmy Stewart plays Howard Kemp, a guy that lost everything in the Civil War. He comes home, doesn't have anything, so he becomes a bounty hunter. And he's going after Robert Ryan, who's a real uh, real jerk. <laughs> um, he's good at playing that. Yeah, you know, that, that, that is the classic Robert Ryan character there. Yeah. So uh, He's got a really big shit-eating grin. Oh, my like God. Movie. God, he's just such a D-bag the whole time. And it's, it's great. Um, so we have Jimmy Stewart going after him. And then uh, across the way, we run into some, some guys that are, you know, we, that are not upstanding citizens either that be, kind of become the posse um, with uh, Miller Mitchell, who people might know from, like, Singing in the Rain. Yep. And, and then, um, obviously, Ralph Meeker, um, who I love. And if you guys watch this, um, Bill Paxton must channel Ralph Meeker because I just see Bill Paxton all day when I see Ralph Meeker in this movie. <laughs> He's got a great mustache in this role. Oh, my God. Like, he looks like... I, Bill Paxton looks identical to him in Tombstone. They look like the same freaking person. <laughs> and they kind of sound the same, too. Um, so, yeah, we just have uh, Jimmy Stewart and a posse going after uh, Robert Ryan. And um, then we're pretty much just playing cat and mouse the whole time. Very uh, 310 to Yuma a little bit. Um, about four or five years before 310 to Yuma. Yeah, um, I can see that. So, yeah, this, see, this see, movie's way better than Three Ten to Yuma, I think. Oh, I love Three Ten to Yuma, so I won't. <laughs> I, I won't get into that. But like, um, it, it they're both very good. <laughs> yeah, the original Three Ten to Yuma, I think, is really, really good. I'm, you have actually never seen the remake, the Russell Crowe one. That's actually not bad either. We were just talking about Mangle, right? Yeah, that's James Mangle. We were. I forgot. I forgot all about that. <laughs> to be honest. Yeah, we were talking about. Uh, I guess before we started recording, some um, like Wolverine and Logan. We're, we just we commiserated how much uh, um, Jamie Mangold talents. I mean, as much as I like Logan quite a bit more than Nick, how his talents haven't been um, used to the best effect since those movies take a lot of time out of uh, other films that he could be working on. 
Yeah, I mean, all he makes is westerns. Yeah, like I mean, like the Boba Fett movie. Copland's a western. <laughs> we need more westerns, I think. <laughs> but you know, he was developing a Boba Fett movie for Lucasfilm. <laughs> that that, that would have been a western. <laughs> <laughs> well, the uh, the new Han Solo movie was a western, but that didn't do well, so they're rethinking their entire approach. Yeah. I guess people just aren't used to him anymore. <laughs> yeah, I, I didn't see Solo, but may, maybe one day. So, uh, Cesar, uh, this this was a first-time watch for you, right? It was, yeah. Yeah, it was a first-time watch for me as well. So what, what were your thoughts initially for uh, The Naked Spur? I, the movie's, you know, pretty lean. Like, it moves at a pretty good clip. Um, overall, the film's pretty short. It's maybe just a little bit over 90 minutes or so, if I recall correctly. Um, you know, I think uh, the limited characters, it, it, um, it makes it easy for you to kind of see motivations and side glances. And I think the acting itself is very nuanced considering like, um, you know, it's, I wouldn't say it's not a revolving door, but like, uh, each character comes in with like a little like B plot, um, shuffles out and not another character comes in. Obviously James Stewart is, is the, the guy you're following. Um, but yeah, I, I was very impressed by, um, I guess the chemistry that exists between, all like the principal actors in this film. Yeah, I I, uh, I, I really enjoyed this movie as well. Uh, to be honest, I was uh, I, I was really happy that Nick suggested this because you know I I, I know director Anthony Mann a lot from uh, from his crime movies, and of course I've seen Winchester seventy three, which is another of the westerns that he made with Jimmy Stewart, which is terrific. Uh, I highly recommend that one as well. Um, and uh, and yeah, it's uh, you know he has he has a very tight kind of a way of composing frames. He likes to bring actors together in the frame and kind of uh, like almost give you a kind of a claustrophobic feeling throughout the picture. Oh, well there's, he does it like pretty overtly in one scene too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and yeah, uh, Robert Ryan, uh, that guy is a, he's a master manipulator and from the, from the moment he is captured by the three men, um, and we, we haven't mentioned Janet Lee. Janet Lee plays a character named Lena Patch, uh, who is along for the ride with Robert Ryan's Ben Vandergroot. Is it Vandergroot? Rhodes, yeah. Yeah, we'll go with that. Okay. <laughs> um, and she's the, the daughter of his former partner who was gunned down, um, and not the same person that he is uh, that he is wanted for murder for a different a different guy, um, and uh, and she's very good in the role with I you know she's got that like poodle haircut which uh, <laughs> yeah almost like um, oh god who plays the mother in shame oh god <laughs> but that that's what she reminded me of like she you could have taken Janet Lee out of this movie and put her in shame. If she was a couple years older, she could have played the mother in chain. Um, but uh, but yeah, from from the very moment Robert Ryan uh, is captured, uh, he starts the wheels turning. He starts manipulating them right away, and he's got a line I think with Janet Lee like right off the bat where he's like, you know, he mentions the reward and the fact that Jimmy Stewart is not a peace officer, uh, which Jimmy Stewart never tells anybody he's a peace officer. They just assume that he's a peace officer. But when it's revealed that he's not, then everybody starts thinking, well, what else is this guy not telling it, telling us? You know, and then the reward comes up. And so now it's kind of like a free for all where Jimmy Stewart wants to take this guy back. 
um, to it's Kansas, right? Abilene, Kansas. Um, and, uh, he's all of a sudden got these two partners that he did not want in the first place. Uh, so there's tension there automatically. And Robert Ryan, I think has this line where he's like, you know, like we're already like getting there, you know, we're like, this is, this is what we need to do. We need to pit these guys against each other. Uh, and he does a really good job of that throughout the movie. Yeah, I think that's one of the strongest points is Robert Ryan has no wasted dialogue. Everything he's saying has a purpose, and it's to just divide and conquer these guys the whole time. Like, he's he's building up the, the, the gold prospector from the beginning. He's, you know, getting under Ralph Meeker's skin, you know, because yeah. Ralph Meeker's a horn dog the whole time. So it's, it's just great. And then him just calling Jimmy Stewart Howie the whole time and just feeding off, like, how emasculated you know, Jimmy Stewart's character is because, you know, spoiler, but like the wife, you know, the whole point is the wife leaves him while he's at the Civil War. The, and the non-wife. Yeah, the non-wife. Yeah, the, the chick he was going to marry before the Civil War and then he goes out and she sells the whole thing. Yeah. Um, he's just that emasculated character and he's just, you know, probably being ripped by people in town and Robert Ryan just bringing up the past and calling him Howie and just, just getting under his skin and just building the paranoia and just building that guy's like all his insecurities through the whole thing until he cracks is great. Yeah. The film goes in a different direction, but like when, when I realized that the film, um, that the film was about like, uh, psychological mind games, um, you know, at the very beginning of, of the movie, once this was kind of established, um, I assumed it was going to be kind of similar to like a treasure of the Sierra Madre situation. Um, as you know, once they realized that, you know, um, Ben is kind of like, he's kind of like the goal that the three of them have to kind of like rely on each other. I thought that's where this film was going to go. And obviously it doesn't head in that same direction. Um, no, but like treasure of Sierra Madre, this is a film about Jimmy Stewart's obsession. Yeah. 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 So it's, it's not ne- um, necessarily, um, I mean, he's obviously got a grudge. I mean, what do you guys think? What kind of history do these guys have uh, like Ben and, and, um, and Howard, what kind of, history do you think these guys have before we see them in the film they obviously knew each other because he jimmy stewart's got that line where he he gets really defensive um when robert ryan says like i i knew someone would come after me but i didn't think it would be you and jimmy stewart says something to the effect of like yeah maybe we sat down at the same card table a couple of times but that doesn't mean squat you know like we we were friendly but we were not friends is what i get out of it yeah, kind of the same thing. I mean, I think, you know, they're from the same town, and Robert Ryan's a D-bag bully. So, like, you know, I think uh, Jimmy Stewart, as, like, the lowly rancher guy that loses his woman, that cheats on him, you know what I mean? I think he's just a guy that's just getting bashed by these guys the whole time. Do they establish where Jimmy Stewart, where Howard Kemp, where his character is from? They don't, do they? No. So, like, the murder happened in Kansas, so that's why he's trying to take Ben back there. But you don't know where... Um, yeah, they could be or, from anywhere, or, or really. Kemp's yeah, ranches or farm or wherever it is, right? Yeah, I mean, I think that's one of the things I love about it too is that we just get Jimmy Stewart right off the horse in the beginning of the movie. And oh he's yeah, already, he's already on the hunt of Ben. Like, I, I love that. I don't need any of the, the build up for it. It's just like boom, we're already into it. Yeah, yeah it, it's, it's the very first image is like close up of his boot with the spur there. Yeah, I wrote, <laughs> I wrote that in my notes. I love it. And then you get that um, the. The score, I'll get into the score real fast. I love the score in this movie. It's good. It's, uh, 
it's it's just too lean and tight, and it's very um, it's almost noirish. I think in the early parts, like it doesn't have like the typical Western tropes of like the fifties uh, kind of soundtracks. Um, so I always thought that was really really strong. Yeah, the composer's name was Bronislaw Caper, who I had. I mean, he had a career with MGM doing a bunch of movies, but like, uh, I I had never heard of him before. But yeah, yeah he, it's a good score. Yeah, I did, I did some research on him, and he, he won an Oscar the same year for. Um, Lily, a 1953 uh, musical? Oh, Lily with Leslie Caron? Lily, yeah, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. okay. Another movie featuring uh, an MGM starlet with a poodle haircut. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's what people wanted to see in the 50s. MGM loved their short-haired ladies. What are some of your guys' um, favorite scenes, some of the scenes that stick out to you guys? Um, well, I think there's a there's a moment as like they're traveling. It's after um, Howard has been shot, and uh, uh, I guess uh, Ben kind of loosens the saddle on his uh, um, uh, on his horse, and like we we're aware of this, and the camera does a couple close ups to kind of like hammer home the fact. But you see Ben kind of waiting for it to slide off in order to kind of like shock his horse in order to knock Jimmy Stewart's character off and hopefully down the mountain and out of their hair. Right. Um, so I, I remember that scene is very, very tense, like surprisingly so because it's, it's telegraphed. Yeah. Um, but I think like in that moment, like when Jimmy Stewart takes a tumble, um, well, I mean, I, I guess I, I should, I should say not necessarily Jimmy Stewart, but like <laughs> the stuntmen in this movie are pretty terrific. Like, especially for like a fifties film. Yeah, rock climbing and and like and like fording rivers and. Well, I think one of the things that to get into the the stunt double stuff, one of the things that Anthony Mann does really well is that he's so close up on the fights and stuff that you can tell it's not stunt doubles for some of the stuff. Like when Meeker and and Jimmy Stewart are fighting later in the film, like you can tell it's actually them. Like I'm sure, obviously, Jimmy Stewart's not rock climbing and he's not falling off horses. Yeah, I like but... <laughs> on Letterbox, I was gonna write a mini review that like Jimmy Stewart climbed rocks. <laughs> But yeah, I mean, I think a lot of the stuff works great. But yeah, go ahead, Susan. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I mean, I guess that's just my point. But that, that scene with like the tenseness of um, uh, as you're waiting for like the sla- the, the saddle to slide off of the horse, um, I think I think that's that's probably one of my favorite moments of the film. I mean, the movie's got a lot of cool scenes, but I think like for me, in that moment watching the film, like I was really I was really invested specifically in that scene. Uh, I, I typically like the scenes where Robert Ryan's character is needling Stuart. So you get the the scene uh, basically at night, like in the campfire, where we start to uh, understand what happened to Stuart's character a little bit. Um, and he uh, he starts to pull the idea that, um, that Roy uh, will rape the Janet Lee character, that, that he's that he's young and wild and will take what he wants. Uh, and that kind of plays against the morality of Jimmy Stewart's character. Um, I like that scene a lot. Um, and I like, uh, especially after Robert Ryan tries to escape in the cave, and Jimmy Stewart's just had enough of it, and he basically gives him a gun and tells him to draw, and he's just waiting to kill him. And Robert Ryan is smart enough to not do it. Like yeah. the, That scene I, I really like a lot, because at every moment... Like, Jimmy Stewart could kill Robert Ryan, and every time he saves him. 
So he, he saves him from Roy at the end of that scene because Roy's had enough and he takes the gun and he wants to shoot him. And Jimmy Stewart knocks the gun out of his hand. He saves him when the in, during the Indian fight. Uh, and even, he even tries to save him later in the movie too. Like, so like he, he wants his money, but he's not a killer. That's like one, one, you know, obviously it's Jimmy Stewart, you know, you don't cast Jimmy Stewart otherwise. So yeah, he's the cave in, uh, like the cave scene is really when you see him push the limit. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like, but still not over the limit. Like it's just there, like on the surface, like he, he, he is ready to do it, but he's not, he, he's not going to like cold blooded murder him. When Ryan's um, when Roy and, and Howard get into a fight on the on the riverside, when you see uh, Ryan's face as he's kind of just watching them fight, I was like, man, what a bitch! God, the, the, he's <laughs> it's just a childhood glee, like in his eyes, like he just loves it. Man. Yeah, he's like he might. I mean, he didn't have a mustache, but he may, may as well have been like <laughs> twirling it as he's putting a damsel on a train track. Yeah, like the the, the sociopathic character that Robert Ryan is in this movie is great. Like yeah. it, it, when when you when we first see him and he's doing the rock slide and um, he ends up brawling with Meeker. He's just giggling the whole time while he's like fighting Meeker. Like he's just laughing. Yeah. Like he's like the Joker or something. It's, and it's, it's weird. Crazy. He's, he's kind of, he's, I mean, he's oddly charming too. Oh yeah. I mean, there's something, there's something about him that makes like uh, um, Janet Lee, like her character invested in, but we, you know, we don't know, you know, she says that he's not her man. So what kind of relationship do you think these guys have? Yeah. I mean, yeah. is it just like, is it just like guardian paternal? Or, or whatever. I mean, it seems to me like the kind of scumbag that Ben is that like, you know, he, he probably would have, you know, forced himself on her at some point. I mean, he's, he's so kind of like without scruples. Oh yeah. I mean, she's obviously looking for something too the whole time. So I think she's just, you know, buying into this, this one guy. Cause she doesn't think he's a killer at all until he blows the, the gold miner away later on. Yeah. Which is brutal, which I love. Yeah, that's a good scene. It, it comes kind of like it's not out of nowhere, but it's a surprise, even though. Yeah, it's just you know he just he just shoots him right in the right in the heart, man. It's almost like it's it's not as good as the um, when uh, Jack Palance and Shane blows the one guy away. Yeah, because um, that scene is like that's one of the most brutal. Just somebody getting shot in a western of all time, but it's close. It's just it's it's real minimalistic. Um, for a scene for me. Um, it's, it's funny cause it's actually probably the scene that's most out of this movie cause it doesn't really fit in. I mean, it fits in, but for everything else in this movie is the, uh, the Indian shootout, which is kind of your most typical Western piece. But I just love the build of, um, you have them, you know, Meeker, Meeker's running away from these Indians and you think he's gone and we've got them coming up. And then from the foreground, we see the Indians following up and then we get, you know, Jimmy Stewart you know, having peace and stuff with him. And we see Ralph Meeker behind this log, just waiting with his gun. And right when he puts the hand up, he just blows this Indian chief away. And in it, it, that analogy for like American history. Oh right? my God. Like what, what an asshole. And, um, it's just, it's just great. Like, it's just, it's just a brutal fight. Like Jimmy Stewart, like just bashes some guy's face in with he, a gun. He beats a man to death. Yeah. With a freaking gun. Like you're like, this is insane. But like, I, I, I think what, Anthony Mann was really, really strong with was having your beautiful nature and then your sudden quick violence just out of nowhere. Like you had repeat, like, you know, th- this was shot on location in um, Colorado. Yeah. I think the movie set at the Rockies somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think a little bit's in California too, but most of it's like Durango, Colorado. So it's like Rocky mountains. So we get all those beautiful shots 
and it's you know it's it's very tranquil and um, the the outdoors is it's its own character in this movie like it creates the isolation that we have I love not having towns and stuff like that like I, I love it just being outdoors and it, it becomes its own character and it becomes the downfall of you know it kills Meeker at the end that's what kill that's what gets Meeker is the you know his greed and stuff but I mean he's getting killed by nature pretty much at the end when he drowns yeah. And then you that know that seems pretty pretty badass that, too. That's a great scene too. That that's that whole him getting the spur on the cheek and then getting just blown away by Meeker and then Meeker just going across to to try to save the body so they can get the reward still and just gets drilled by a freaking tree mm-hmm. is 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 great. And then just Jimmy Stewart like uh, pulling him like he's a beached whale out of the water to try to try to get his body. It's, it's kind of like what would what would happen if Ahab actually got Moby Dick. Yeah. And then, you know, and then you have Jimmy Stewart and him is breaking. Like, he sees how much inhuman he's become over this money and everything. Um, because he's like, you're going to come back to Kansas with me. You're going to be my wife. And, and I'm going to have this money. And we're going to get this land. And he's like, shit, like, I'm a, I'm just as bad as everybody else here now. Yeah, <laughs> the, the, it's a really powerful moment. He's full of shame and guilt and... and and confusion, you know, I think frankly in that moment too, like he doesn't understand who he is at his core anymore at that point. So like, and I love the way man shoots that scene. Like he's saying some really powerful shit and man shoots him from the back as he's dragging the body to the horse. And then when he finally does turn around, he is just wrecked. You can see it in his eyes. And that's when he has that great line where he's like, I am going to sell him for money. Um, and that's the straw that broke the camel's back. At that point, he now realizes he can't do it. Yeah, and, so. and it's great. He falls into like I love that the character that you're you're you know he's obviously a tormented guy through the whole film, but I love that your main face of the movie, your hero, I mean, he's an anti-hero, but um, ends up falling in the Janet Lee's you know arms, and she's the strongest person in this whole film if you really get down to it, I mean, she's, she's the only person that isn't like affected by it. Like she's the only real person. <laughs> Everybody else is, is a scumbag kind of. Yeah. I mean, she's, she's naive and stuff, yeah. but like, I mean, obviously she's not experienced and like what the West, what the West can entail, whether it's, you know, the dangers of nature, the, you know, indigenous tribes. Yeah. Or naivete is kind of like our perspective. No, for sure. Uh, I'll, I'll, are you saying anything right now? CJ? <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm good. <laughs> Um, yeah, I, I, uh, I, I like the idea of Robert Ryan's character sort of representing, uh, money to these guys, uh, you know, that they, they have basically like dehumanized him. Uh, you know, uh, Roy's even got that line earlier, like he's not a man, he's a sack of money. Yeah, that's um, great. And, and at that point, Stuart is still justifying his actions in his head, you know, uh, that he's maybe serving justice at that point. Um, you know, by the end, he realizes he's not serving justice anymore. That that he is that he has himself become as dehumanized as Robert Ryan in a different way. Um, so yeah, it's I mean this uh, you know this movie definitely uh, gives you uh, a sense of what that type of violence and obsession will will do to a person. Yeah, I mean, I think a great line from the movie that sums it up is when uh, Robert Ryan and Jimmy Stewart are talking. And he's just at uh, Robert Ryan's got the uh, the line where he's like uh, choosing a way to die. What's the difference? He's like choosing a way to live. That's the hard part, and that's kind of the whole movie. Yeah, like, summed up right there. 
and um, just uh, think it's great. I mean, I, I, and the this screenplay gets nominated for uh, Oscar, which is pretty rare for westerns, especially like a you know not John Ford western. Right. John Ford pretty much the only guy getting nominated for westerns at this time. <laughs> Well, I mean, at, you know, Westerns were so pre- prevalent at that time. So even ones that weren't great, you know, they had like a pretty large viewership, I imagine. Yeah, for sure. But like because they were churned out so quickly, you know, so many of them were done. It doesn't. That's why something like this, you know, is kind of special. Uh, what we talk about, um, uh, Tate. I mean, what's the name of the actor that plays Tate, the, the, uh, the prospector? Just, uh, Mil- Millard Mitchell. Yeah, let's talk about him for a little bit. Sure. Well, he's he's the one who is just in it for the money from the beginning. Like that's he's a prospector. He's looking for gold. So like he's he's in search of fortune. So when this opportunity comes up, you know it's it's perfect. And I love one of the little <laughs> one of the little things that I absolutely love about his character is he's he's so like gobsmacked almost when Jimmy Stewart offers him twenty dollars uh, to help him find you know this this burnt out fire so he can find the Robert Ryan character. Um, and he acts like twenty dollars is a sum of money he's never seen in his life. And then, <laughs> and then ten minutes later, after he finds out there's a five thousand dollar reward, the way he hands the twenty dollars back to Jimmy Stewart, like it's piddling, like it's nothing, you know. Like I, I just find that like that's a neat little comedic moment for me. <laughs> no, it's it's really good. I like I like that he doesn't ham it up. Like guy, like. It'd be easy to do like a Slim Pickens kind oh of thing. Oh my god, there's so many bad, like I watched so many westerns and, and like it could be a great western and you still have like the worst freaking prospector ever. Like just the most generic, <laughs> terrible prospector. Well, Cesar and, mentioned Treasure of Sierra Madre earlier, like w- think of Walter Houston in that movie. Yeah, exactly. And yeah. it's just like, it hams it up so bad and you're just like, you know, he looks typical when you see him, but you know, he, he's he's playing a pretty good character and he was an underrated actor and sadly he dies of cancer i think a year after this maybe the same year oh yeah he's only got one more film after this and um he was kind of you know i think he does six convicts and he does singing in the rain he does this and then he does one other movie with like bob hope and uh passes away sadly but um the point you made about like the prospector you're right there's so many films where like that kind of character is just kind of like the uh the caricature <laughs> Like I'm sure not all 49ers were like, oh yeah, were like we like weird, you know, straw biting hillbillies. Yeah, I mean that that's the thing I always like about Anthony Mann westerns and Anthony Mann films in general. Even his noirs, he very rarely goes into the tropes. Like he very rarely like his western could be anything. This, I mean he'll he'll introduce it, but like they're they're not what you expect. Yeah, they're not what's typical. Yeah, I mean they're not your B side genre pieces. Like they're they're set in those they're set in those movies, but he's telling so much of a different story than most of those movies are doing. That um, I think that's one of his real real, real strengths. Yeah, he's usually got a, an unusual take on something, which is funny because like like I'm really curious what his version of Spartacus would have been. Like he was the director that was fired by Kirk Douglas when they hired Stanley Kubrick. Really, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah, he he shot some of Spartacus. And then was fired. So I'd be really interested to see what an Anthony Mann version of Spartacus would be like. Yeah, that's crazy. I didn't know that. Spartacus is me. <laughs> Spartacus is me. I love you, Spartacus. It probably would have been less homoerotic. Hey, man. I, it, <laughs> well, we got Caligula, so whatever. <laughs> yeah, you know. Caligula. Any, anything with Tony Curtis is a little homoerotic. <laughs> well, he married Janet Lee, so... Hey, I mean, I'm not bashing Tony Curtis. I'm just saying he's a little homoerotic. 
Yeah. Uh, I want to go back to Robert Ryan uh, and his character real quick. Like, I kind of wrote down, like, a list of all the things that he uses at his disposal to, like, like oh, kind of, like, play against the other characters. Like, Did you watch this a second time, CJ? Um, or is this based off just uh, your, your, your a single viewing? Uh, I kind of I watched it a second time just to take a few notes. Okay. I was, I was up until, like, 5 o'clock this morning after work, so... <laughs> I watched it twice too. <laughs> um, but yeah, he he obviously like the first thing that he does to kind of like split them uh, is the reward, um, and and the fact that Stewart's character is not a peace officer, uh, and then he talks about how Lena's pretty face is uh, is like their greatest asset, and he has this line to her where he's like, "Don't forget, honey, they're men, and you are not." Um, and then, like, later, he's like, you know, it's plain arithmetic. You know, money splits better two ways instead of three, which is that that's like, boom, like, you're basically like hammering a nail into something and like pulling it apart there because then they're all like starting to get like paranoid. Um, and then, uh, and then later in the scene that I talked about with the, the fire uh, at night, and he, he's talking about the Roy character, and he's, you know, he's like, wild kids like that, you watch when he's ready, he'll take you know, what he wants, and who's to stop him. Um, and he also says like a really neat thing that I, I think kind of plays uh, psychologically to Stewart's character when he calls Roy a fancy-talking Eastern boy. And that, <laughs> well, because I, I think that's pointed, that Jimmy Stewart's kind of a simple man, and maybe not as well educated, you know, a, a decent man, of course, or at least was up until he started, you know, until he went to the Civil War, maybe. Um, but, you know, he like that Roy is is uh, is maybe someone that Janet Lee's character would desire over him. I think that kind of plays into it as well. And then you've got uh, he, he actually says the same exact line to Roy. He kind of plays the same angle. Uh, where once he gets Roy alone, he says, you know, pretty soon, um, Howie's gonna, you know, Howie's gonna let in on you or something like that. And he's like, he's like, what are you talking about? He's like, I've seen Howie with women, you know? So he kind of plants that same seed in the Roy character. Um, well, he says earlier that he says something to the effect like, um, like time is our greatest time is like. I need as much time as I can get. Yeah. I can't remember what the exact line is. Yeah. But like, he, you know, he wants to delay them as long as he can. So like, like you mentioned the seeds, like they'll, they'll bear fruit, which you know, towards the end they do. So. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he's a manipulative son of a bitch. <laughs> man, that smile too, man. I just yeah. want to punch him in the face. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, the, and then he plays even like the sympathy card. Like uh, he's like the, I thought you were better than this thing against Stuart where he's got a line where he says, I calculated that some horse thieving scum would want to want to collect the price on my head, but not you, Howie, not a man of your learning leanings. Sorry. Not a ranching man. What a dick. Well, but like, I, I, like he, he obviously knows Howie really well, I think because like, you know, like some of Stewart's best moments in the movie, the kind of Jimmy Stewart moments that you expect from him, the idealism that you would have seen in like Capra's movies are when he talks about ranching in that kind of romantic way. You know, when he's talking about like clearing the land and moving the animals and, and, and the everyday work that he loves. Um, and that's something that like 
uh, the Ben character uses against him. Like, it's just pure evil. Like, what a fucking ass. <laughs> um, you know, and then you got the gold and, you know, a bunch of other shit, but, like, man, he, I mean, he's so smart. He's so manipulative. Like, he's a great villain. Like, he's a way better villain than you would expect out of, out of a typical, like, Western, you know, from this era. You know, he's not just the, the, the quick-drawing black hat Western character. You know, he's so much more than that. Oh, he's so calculating. Yeah, it's, it's yeah, I think it's kind of funny. It's kind of interesting that, like, his character, like, his primary weapon in these movies are rocks. Yeah. And, like, but so, like, for a Western villain not to use a gun for, like, almost the entirety of the film. But when he gets the gun at the end, he's a sharpshooter. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Um, but, like, you see how, like, how willing he is to just, you know, just, if the rocks had fallen a, a different way inside that cavern, you know, everyone would have been killed. You know, Janet Lee as well. And it's kind of like when you see him trying to crawl to freedom, when Jimmy Stewart, like, realizes what's going on, you know, bullet in the leg be damned, he's going after him, and he drags him out of that hole, like, I was going to say, there's a, there's a lot of strong set pieces in it. And there's even, like, there's just, there, there's a lot of dark stuff that's going on in this film. I love when um, Meeker is, like, he's coming across the river either way and just throws a freaking noose around his neck while he's on the horse still, yeah. right before they get into the fight. It's, it's just great. Like, like who's like, yeah, this guy's just going to throw a noose around his neck and just drag him across the water. What, what other movies do you see? Like, some like, that's the character's motivation right off the bat is just, like, screw it. We're just going to drag this dude <laughs> It was a good run. We're close enough already. <laughs> yeah, whatever. You don't need to walk on your own power anymore. <laughs> it's it's crazy. But to get back to the Robert Ryan real fast, using um, Janet Lee sexually too, like um, the undertones. Um, he keeps giving those back massages, right? And he's like, he's like, he's like, he's like, oh, do me, and like, obviously, you know, he's he's implying a little bit more than just the back rub in the grand scheme of things to get under these guys' skin and everything. Um, it's just another little thing that he's doing that's just. Super scummy. Yeah. yeah, but he's playing Lena too. Like, oh, he, sure. he, even though like he kind of views her as an ally, he's he's, he's definitely willing to kind of like cast her off at any moment. Yeah, like at the end when like she, I mean, she's she starts to express doubts about about Ben. Um, you know, after her talk with uh, Jimmy's Jimmy Stewart's character, and like when they're talk when they're like uh, commiserating by the rain. Um, but like the moment when, um, right after he shoots Tate, um, like there, he's kind of like uh, lying in wait for um, for Roy and uh, and Howard. That like he takes a lot of joy in telling her how wrong she was the entire time. And he's like, you know, yeah, you're gonna be here and be quiet because I tell you to. So like he's he's definitely you manipulate her, but he's exerting like influence over her too and like what can she do in that moment yeah but she ends up being his downfall because yeah. i mean you know she's, yeah she's the one that sets it up so it's her breaking point yeah yeah he put him putting her with jimmy stewart gives her the sympathy to save him at the end which is is what does him in but um i i like you talked about um the scene where he's uh, talking to Janet Lee in the cave and and telling him to telling her to kind of like you know schmooze up on Jimmy Stewart. Um, that that moment where she expresses her doubts is the first real like aside from him trying to push Jimmy Stewart over the horse. Um, that's that's when you really start to see the homicidal you know psychopath come out of his character. Is in that scene. 
Well, he says, what's he? Where he's he like, he's going to bash his head in with a rock. I don't want to oh do God, it. Oh, my God, it's great. I don't yeah. want to do it. Yeah, he's like, I don't want to do it, but we're running out of time. Like, he's starting to get desperate, and, and desperate, you know, uh, means that he's got to step his game up. <laughs> you know, actually, I don't, I don't know if I saw that scene of him as him being desperate. He was saying what he needed to to get her to do what he wanted. So, I mean, he saw that as an opportunity, certainly, but I don't necessarily think that, like, um, like he was seeing the sand run out of the hourglass. Yeah, I think time's definitely a factor, though. Like, the you know, he, the more time he spends with them, uh, you know, of course, the, the more time he has to kind of, like, put a wedge between each of them, but, uh, but he's also getting closer, and the closer he gets to Abilene, Kansas, the more people will be looking for him, I think, which is something they don't really get into, but that makes sense to me. The yeah, idea that... Once he got out of the wilderness. Yeah. yeah, that does make sense. So, um, but yeah, like, I mean, he's, 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 a ter- he's a terrific character. I think Jimmy Stewart is a terrific character. I, you know, I, I, the, the, the James Stewart character in this, uh, Howie, um, I love the backstory. I love the idea that he's a decent guy who put his faith in somebody and that somebody uh, betrayed him. Uh, and he still defends her in that one scene uh, when he's talking to Janet Lee, And Janet Lee says something like, well, what happened to you was horrible. You know, that woman running away with another man. And uh, he says something like, you know, what she did is her business. You know, like, don't talk about my girl that way. <laughs> <laughs> it's like you know like nobody beats up my brother but me kind of a thing yeah for sure yeah um but he you know jimmy stewart has you know you don't cast jimmy stewart unless you want that sort of inner decency to come out it, even even in his most like i mean aside from like after the thin man where he plays like a murderer um uh, oh spoiler alert <laughs> Sorry. But Winchester 73 and Naked Spur and even when you get to some of the Hitchcock movies like Rope and Rear Window where he's like a much darker edge character than you expect, you know, Mr. Smith goes to Washington, Jimmy Stewart to be. Like, yeah, a different type of director. <laughs> yeah, well, but what I mean is like that's the image of James Stewart that we have. And but even when he gets into his darkest roles, he still has that inner decency kind of shine through a little bit. Um, and I, you know, I like that about it. And I, I, I think that you know his character is redeemed at the end. You know, not necessarily through any other person besides himself. I think it's helped along by the Janet Lee character. But I think it's he gets to that point where he just realizes he is about to go over the edge and there's no turning back. And that's when he makes the decision to not do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, in the end, you know, Janet Lee's character basically saves his life. Yeah. I mean, not not just like in the sense of, you know, prevention of getting shot to death. Yeah. <laughs> but like, you know, it's, you know, it's the, uh, oh, how, how am I going to phrase that? Well, she gives him a second chance. Yeah, you know, saves his soul. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, she allows him to save his soul, I think. Well, yeah, yeah, that's a good point. You know, and 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 again, like he wanted to go back and kind of like get his life back and kind of, you know, buy his land back and live on that same ranch and kind of like find some semblance of his pre-war self. 
which was never going to happen. And I think the, the thing that she does is she shows him a different path. You know, like the, the fact that they are um, headed over the Rockies to California at the end shows that he is now looking towards the future and not the past. Boom. Boom. <laughs> Boom. Yeah, well, I mean, now they got Roy's and Tate's stuff now, too, so it's not like they didn't get nothing out yeah, of Yeah, they got some coffee out of the deal. Coffee. Maybe some tobacco. I love, I love that, like, the last line of the movie, too. <laughs> I'll get you some of Tate's coffee. <laughs> Wait, remind me. What's the last line of the movie? Um, uh, well, she says something like, uh, uh, I'll make, uh, I'll, I'll make some of Tate's coffee or something like that. Yeah, okay. That's what I, that's what I thought. Yeah, yeah. I, you know. That I, is the last line of the yeah, sure, right? yeah. I think it is, yeah. Yeah. I'll, I'll, you know, I'll go back to that ranch and I'll marry you and. Yeah, I, I, I think. Who needs, who needs money? You got a wife. You got a wife out of this. And it's Janet Lee. I know. It's Janet yeah. Lee. That's not bad right there. Um, <laughs> I, I think, you know, now that I'm thinking about it, I think maybe, um, because she, when he professes his love for her in the cave before Robert Ryan tries to escape, when they have that kiss, um, she, at that point, understands that she has feelings for him, but she expresses um, a hesitation that, to go back to his ranch and and kind of live a life based on not just Jimmy Stewart's past, but also the idea of them sort of making a life on Robert Ryan's dead body. And I think at the end of the movie, when she is finally saying, I'll do anything you want, I will, I will be that person who, who can, you know, who can trade a body in for money and live off of that money. I will do that with you. I think maybe he's also trying to save her as well as himself in that moment too. He doesn't want her to, to have to do that. I think. Yeah, not to be a doormat. Right. Well, but also not to not to have that regret. Like I, you know, I mean, I can't speak for the characters. Not in the text of the movie, but I can imagine that you know, twenty years later, that in the back of her mind, there would always be some sort of regret that they that they lived their life because of murdering a guy. Well, I, mean, I think he also sees something um, of himself in her. Um, you know, being someone who lost you know his property, his his girl. Like, uh, Janet Lee's character, she basically, you know, she's lost, you know, she was maybe, maybe a sheltered girl. I kind of get that impression. She's well-spoken. Yeah. Um, you know, she, she goes out West, her father's gone and she's stuck with this asshole dead, <laughs> um, who's like, basically he's the only reason that she's kind of like still alive probably. So like her loyalty to him, you know, as misplaced as it may be, um, because I mean, don't you think that there's a good, good chance that Ben killed, killed her father? Do you think so? I don't think so. I because I, I think you you have that moment in the movie where someone even suggests that, and Robert Ryan gets um, kind of lashes out and says that her father was my best friend. Yeah, but you don't know. Like, yeah, yeah I mean, I mean you don't. I think that's that's what's great about the character. You don't know, but like that's that's my take on it. That that yeah, maybe maybe her dad so was the one guy defending him, but she's also pretty blind to like his manipulations. Yeah, yeah I mean. Yeah, it, it's 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 hard to tell, really. Yeah, but I, I mean, I got I, I thought from the point that he didn't kill the dad either. But I mean, you really don't know if that character I, in a lesser <laughs> film, they probably would have made that revelation. Yeah, for but sure. Like, but like by keeping it secret, it you know it, it kind of like 
keep some of some of their history in shadows, which I think is good. That's the Pixar version. <laughs> but I, I, I would have seen that at the beginning. Though. Sorry, that's my little dig at Coco, and. <laughs> Um, I think the performances are just great, though. I, I, and just a little side note: we already got into Jimmy, and we got into Robert Ryan a lot. Um, I'm a huge fan of Kiss Me Deadly, and you get to see a little bit of like Ralph Meeker, Mike Hammer in this, yeah. which I'm a huge fan of because I just love Mike Hammer because he's such a dick, and Ralph Meeker is such a dick in this. Why are assholes so entertaining to watch it? Oh my god! Well, Mike Hammer is <laughs> just the biggest life. prick ever. Not in real life, but like man, in movies, they they make the films. Oh yeah, because I mean that's just they're. they're they're the ones that just bring out the most emotion in you. Yeah. <laughs> but you get to see a little bit, a few years to come, of uh, the Kiss Me Deadly Ralph Meeker character, which I, I like, I enjoy too. Yeah, and that, that's a, that's, is that two years after this? Yeah, I think that's 55, so yeah, yeah, yeah. That should be like two years after this. So, but yeah, that's, that's a movie that, uh, that I, I love as well. So that's, uh, he's terrific in that, and that is one of the quintessential like 1950s noirs. And he's also in one of the quintessential 1950s like psychological westerns now. Yeah, I was going to say, Kiss, Kiss Me Deadly is on a whole different plane of noirs <laughs> for what it does. It's just insane. Yeah. Maybe that's something we could do down the road. <laughs> yeah. I feel like it's been a while since we did a noir. <laughs> next yeah, next I'm, to this. I'm always game for that. <laughs> so anything else you guys want to do to wrap this up for... Uh... For this one, this particular film? No, I, mean, I felt like we had a pretty good discussion about it. The movie's pretty short, so I don't know that we didn't tackle anything that I wanted to discuss. How about you, Nick? Any any last thoughts? No, I mean, I, I like I said, I think it's just one of the strongest psychological westerns out there. Um, so for for people that are into that, go for it. It's not your B side, you know. Rio Conchos, everyone's getting shot up. Um, there's very little violence in it. Well, those are satisfying in their own. Oh, yeah. Own I mean, 100%. I'm not so. going to pretend like I don't love those movies. <laughs> um, but this, this is a thinking man's Western for sure. And um, if you like really wrong, really strong performances and just some great, like, other than John Ford, I can't think of anybody that shoots a better Western outside. I think uh, Anthony Mann just has some really picturesque landscapes and um, I think he uses the environment very, very well. Don't you think he's a he's a director that a lot of people never ever talk about? Though when you talk about like great Western directors, I don't know that I hear his name come up in discussion as no, often. No, I think Man's getting a lot of run now, yeah. which is great. Like I think he's going to rediscover now, which is awesome. But he is one of the best um, directors of that era with westerns and even his noirs, Raw Deal, um, Desperate, T Man. Yeah, uh, Border Incident. All those movies oh, are yeah, shot. Border weird. Incident's fucking awesome. Yeah, it's super. Like, little Ricardo Montalban and yeah. stuff. Like it's 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 great, man. That's that's a great movie too. Um, but Anthony Mann is a very 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 underrated director in my opinion. Um, you know, he was just a great like people categorize him as a genre director, but I think he was way more than that. And um, well, genre directors, you know, when you get down to it, time is the only way that you really can kind of get this because I mean, you know. You and I are big um, samurai film yeah. fans, Japanese film, but like a lot of those genre directors never get notoriety, even amongst their contemporaries, until decades down the line. Oh, sure. A guy like Seijin Suzuki, who's like, might be one of the best directors ever, you know, perfect example of that. 
Yes, so I'm, I'm glad Anthony Mann's getting as uh, much of a run as he has. Um, I know they've been pumping him out hard on Filmstruck. I don't know how you guys watched Naked Spur. I don't know if this was on Filmstruck or not. But I watched it on Google. Okay, but I, I know they put a lot of his noirs on there, so hopefully they get around to putting his westerns on there too so more people can discover him. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, every Anthony Mann movie that I've seen, I have enjoyed, every single one. So, I mean, it's maybe six or seven movies at this point now, so I, you know, I still have a lot... A lot of ways to go in his filmography, but uh, but yeah, I mean he's really solid. I, I like his approach. I like the attitude of his movies. Did you watch Naked Spur on Filmstruck? No, no I, I own Naked Spur, um, so I watched my own copy of it. Um, this this was probably like my third or it, it might have been like my third watching of Naked Spur. I feel like I watched it maybe about like six or seven years ago is when I first discovered recently. it. Yeah, um, so I was really excited to revisit it. Did you have a DVD of this, CJ? No, uh, you know it's funny. I didn't even check Filmstruck. I uh, I just rented it from Amazon. So it was I, they, they don't have an HD version. It's standard, so it's two ninety nine for the rental. But yeah, yeah. When, I, uh, when I rented it from Google, I guess like Google did some kind of like update for like their service, so they gave me a five dollar credit. So basically, I watched this movie for free. Yeah, there you go. It's two ninety nine as well. So sweet. Can't beat that. I was going to say I don't think it's on Filmstruck yet because they're pretty crappy with westerns, to be honest. But wait, wait, it is a great service. Who made, who made this film? Warner Brothers own the rights to it. MGM. MGM. Yep. Leo the Lion roars at the beginning. Yeah, Sony owns it then. I guess right now. Yeah, yeah I guess that makes sense. Um, I one of the uh, uh, I, I I at the end of this movie when um when the music score sort of uh, starts to play like the the melody. Uh, that's sort of like the love theme between Jimmy Stewart and Janet Lee. Um, I knew I had heard it before, and it just kept sticking with me, and I couldn't figure out what it was. Um, beautiful Dreamer, right? It, it is. It is Beautiful Dreamer. Yes. Yeah. So. Um, beautiful Dreamer. You guys might have to. <laughs> you might have to sing it, CJ. <laughs> <laughs> you, you definitely don't want that. You don't want that to happen. But uh, yeah, Beautiful Dreamer was. Um, recorded or written i guess by stephen foster in 1864 which is just a couple of years before this movie is actually set so so it's actually like period specific as well stephen freaking foster man yeah that was a little tombstone reference <laughs> all right any last thoughts Nah, it was great being here um it was, it was yeah thanks it was, for joining uh, us nick yeah, it was really fun. Hopefully, I don't um, bog no, it down too much. No way, you contributed a lot. <laughs> yeah, no, I, 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 I was just sitting back and, and and remembering what it was like to have all those conversations with you at Suncoast. I was just loving every minute of it. Yeah, without annoying ass customers walking up and I know. trying to be helpful. <laughs> Do you have new releases? What jerks! <laughs> you guys have snow tires. <laughs> Do you guys still see these? <laughs> Oh, that question came up all the time. Yeah. Oh my god. We're bringing up bad memories now. There was good memories in there too, but well, the last hour is all good memories right here. No, but um, hopefully I get to do this again with you guys. Yeah, and, definitely. Um, yeah. It was definitely fun. Uh, well, where where can we find where can we find you, CJ? Oh, uh, you can find me on the internet at Twitter, um, and my handle is at setting the frame. What about you, Cesar? Uh, you can find me, as always, on filmsmash.com uh, or on Junior Bio on Twitter as well. And yeah. Nick, do you have uh, you have an online handle or uh, or anything you want to, like, you know, promote? You, you, guys, 
You guys cannot really find me anywhere. I will be, I am on Letterboxd. Nick's yeah. a smart guy. <laughs> Um, I'll be on Letterboxd, and I will probably shamelessly plug this and um, try to get some uh, hype on celluloid jelly for you guys. That'd be awesome. <laughs> it, it holds a lot of class. Every every little bit helps. Yes. There's a, there's at least eighty people that follow me on Letterboxd, so I'm, I'm a kind of a big deal. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, uh, well, speaking of which, you know, to our listeners out there, um, you know, thank you for your support. Uh, and, yeah, don't forget to like, share, comment, uh, promote Celluloid Jelly. Um, give us some feedback. Uh, if you have any suggestions, any any movies that you want us to cover on the show, don't be afraid to hit us up online and let us know. So, uh, you know, thank you guys both. Uh, you know, Nick, again, it was really great to talk to you. Uh, Cesar, you know, same as always. Uh yeah, yeah, you know, CJ, whatever. <laughs> you know, Good job. My brother from another celluloid mother. Um, <laughs> so we will see you guys next time. Um, oh, what are we doing next week? It's your pick, right? You, you had a pick. I can't remember what it was, though. All right, bam, we're going to do Charade. Stanley Donnan Charade, yeah. starring Cary Grant and Audrey Hepburn. You know, actually, I'm pretty sure... That's on Filmstruck, because Criterion puts it out. Yeah, right? for sure. That's that's a great choice for you guys. Charade is a great, great movie. You know what? I own a copy of it, because I own a copy of... Um, I've never watched it, but I own a copy of The Truth About Charlie. Okay. And, like, Charade is a bonus disc. Really? Yeah. It I'm should a, be I'm the good. other way around. Yeah, right? It's so weird. <laughs> but, hey, man, you got it. That's all that matters. Yeah. Charade's great, man. Get, get a little Coburn. Yeah, I don't know. Math out. I don't know. I don't know the criteria or anything, so... What a, what a, stacked, what a stacked lineup Charade has. Charade's pretty great. The best, yeah. the best Hitchcock movie Hitchcock never made. Many have said. All right, cool. All right, guys. We'll see you next week. All right. Thanks for thanks for listening. <laughs> thanks. <laughs> thanks for listening. <laughs> We're out of here. Celluloid Jelly was recorded using Google Hangouts, mixed using Apple's GarageBand software, and hosted by Podbean. For any inquiries related to Celluloid Jelly, please email settingtheframe at gmail.com.